Let me tell you who's doing sneakers the best in the game right now. That's New Balance. The two-way V4, featuring this groundbreaking use of technology with fresh foam. It's called Fuel Cell, creating this combination that we love of rebound and cushioning. Fresh Foam offers unparalleled cushioning for maximum comfort your entire game from start to finish. The upper construction features this lightweight textile that reduces weight, which we all need, I know I do, while remaining supportive and breathable. Hard to find that combo. The two-way V4 gives you the tools that you need to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way V4 at newbalance.com. On this episode of the Heat Check, what is happening with my Portland Trailblazers? Something's wrong. Something's also wrong with James Harden. Things are going weirdly positive in the right direction for DeAndre Ayton. Not as worried there. And we also get into some tea about LeBron. So do me a favor, Brock. Let's drop that motherfucking beat. I don't want to sound like Chicken Little. Because I'm... I'm a child of trauma. You know what I mean? Like, I'm predisposed to think about the worst case scenarios. You know, you are learned and actually hardwired to sense danger before it actually comes about. So, and I feel these things intensely for my own tribe, aka the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm going to dial back my pessimism because it's very high right now. It's what we would call on 10 And I'm going to dial it back to a reasonable level for folks to give you the ideas and the insight into what's happening with Portland. Never in my life have I ever seen a coach call a team out in the third game of the season for lack of effort. Like, I've never seen that. It's game three, and you have a brand new coach who's never coached before, by the way talking shit about work ethic in the team that he is raising. That is something that normally a coach on the hot seat will do because they know they've already lost the squad. They're doing everything that they can to place the blame elsewhere. They know they're probably on the way out the door. Or, or like John Beeline in Cleveland, like they never actually had the locker room, and they just do that because they're assholes. Like, call, Remember when he called them slugs or thugs? Called them thugs first and then said I meant slugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, But I can't recall a coach who's supposed to be a player's coach, like Chauncey Billups, brand new to the gig, calling out his team, especially when they're in such a tenuous spot. Like Damian Lillard all summer long had his foot one foot out the door. But, you know, who am I to say? Chauncey Billups did just that. After the Blazers looked absolutely atrocious against the Clippers two nights ago, Chauncey called the effort embarrassing. In that loss, the Blazers turned the ball over 30 fucking times. 30! Woo, woo, woo! 30 times in a game? Paul George, my man, Paul George, had eight steals on his own. Blazers reporters... They didn't hold back. They called the effort sluggish and sloppy. This is what they had to say in further detail. Portland, in general, played with a lack of focus, turning the ball over at an alarming rate while looking a step or four 
slow on the defensive end and on rotations. Nurkic's interior presence was virtually non-existent on both ends of the floor, and the big man finished with more turnovers than points. <laughs> Things were so ugly that Root Sports, brand new broadcasting partner, by the way, so you would think that they would be careful to not make this team angry. Midway through the game, they showed footage of the infamous 1970 Florence, Oregon whale explosion. Midway through the fourth quarter, the Clippers beat the shit out of the Blazers. They didn't even shoot the ball well. 33%. It was just one game, but if they would have shot the ball well, they would have beaten us by 50 like, it would have been that historic loss that the Clippers had last year against the Mavs where it was like, what the fuck is going on? And it's not even like they tried to come back. After, the, the, after halftime, they were like, eh, you know, I think this one's done. This team, they just don't seem, they just don't seem right. They don't. Something is off. Dame is off. Nurk, I mean, <laughs> Nurk is off a lot. They just don't seem motivated, I don't know, to compete. Act like you're playing basketball. Act like you're playing football. Compete. That's what bothers me. Many of y'all are not competing. I need effort. Compete. Go to class. I just left for school telling these kids, act like you're playing football. Go in that doggone classroom. Compete. Many of you have lost your competitive edge. Listen, this team, we know does not have as much as everybody else. They have Dame, that we lucked into, and Norm, and CJ. Oh. Our roster, compared to anybody else, compared to the Memphis Grizzlies, Memphis, it's not good. Our roster is commensurate with a team located in Portland, Oregon. Like, nobody wants to come there. So you know your roster isn't as good as all the other rosters in the league. So what do you do? Compete! Play harder! Go after loose balls! Try! Please, just try! All you have to do, like, the talent differential isn't that much more than if you just compete. Where is Dame? Where is Dame? He has shot, I am livid. He has shot two for 24. That is 8% from three. Eight. Are you fucking kidding me? This man is known to be one of the greatest shooters in the league, and he shot 8% in the last three games. I know it's three games. I know it's like, Trista, you're overreacting. I don't think I am. This is a superstar. This is maybe the worst three-game stretch I've ever seen from a superstar. And you know what? He's my superstar. And it doesn't help that all summer long, we thought we would lose him. And then we got him back. And he's like, I'm loyal now. And it's like, dude, you're not the same guy. It's like when, here's what it is. Here's a little off-the-cuff little analogy. It's like when you had that boyfriend and he is the best boyfriend you could possibly have, and you have been mistreating him, taking him for granted. He does everything. He washes the dishes. He takes the trash out. He's good in bed. He makes food. He's loyal. He does everything you could possibly want for a, for a long-term partner to do, and he's like, listen, 
I can't take this anymore. You don't do shit for me. And you're like, I'm going to change, I promise. He's like, okay, I was wrong. Like, I just snapped a little bit. I'm committed to you. I'm loyal. And then you come back to the relationship. He moves back in, and he doesn't do any of those things anymore. (laughs) It's like, do you even want to be in this relationship? Or have you just not found a new girlfriend yet? Dame is shooting 34% overall. They have lost to the Clippers, the Kings. Somehow beat the Suns just for posterity. Now, folks, they're headed for a buzzsaw. Next nine games. Let's just talk about them. They are against eight playoff teams. And the Cavs. Do not sleep on the Cavs. They have put it on us before, and they look good. I don't know what's happening with Kevin Love right now, but there's a resurgence. Five of those games on the road. Gross. This is gross. This is legitimately concerning. This team could be like three and nine. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. And that, of course, won't add any fuel to the Dame trade rumor fire. Won't be like, Stephen A. Smith on first take. Where is Dame going? You know? Every single morning, Shannon and Skip, Dame deserves better. It's like, no, we deserve better from Dame. I love Dame. Like, Dame is one of my favorite human beings, but even Dame knows something's not right. Something is wrong. Things need to get right quick. And I know here's a little optimism because it is filled with storm clouds right now. Dame is on the 75 players, best 75 players of all time list. I know he can carry this team if he gets his shot back. If his legs come back and his energy comes back, I know he can do the same things. He can carry this relationship, right? He's been doing that for seven years. Literally a wife of a girlfriend that does nothing and Dame does everything. Does he want to? I don't know. I think Nurk can revert to the center that wants to be paid. He's in a contract year. This should be his best statistical year of his career. I believe, I think, I hope. Chauncey Billups can coach. I've never seen him do it before. No one has. Other good news, CJ's been balling the fuck out. Norm Powell looked good before he got hurt, which was a scare. Truthfully, it's not serious. Larry Nance had his moments. Cody Zeller, he's wearing a mask now. (laughs) It's good. I'd be lying if I said I I wasn't nervous. I'm nervous. This is splash, a cold water moment. This needs to be a wake-up call. Twitter, NBA Twitter, at 1 a.m. last night, was roasting my team. Like, ah, uh, we got to talk about Portland. Something's wrong with Portland. Can we talk about Portland? It's like everybody. Look down the timeline. Just one thing after another. One meme, scathing meme after another about this team. The train is just barely hanging on to the tracks. It's like the Washington, D.C. metro. Like, at any time, people could die. If Portland doesn't take a hard look in the mirror and things don't get right fast, like we could be just out of the playoff, hopeful teams, like before the All-Star break even happens. And truthfully, it's not because this team can't shoot. It's because this team seems to only rely on hot, deep shooting. And when we don't shoot, we don't succeed. And all of that stems from a lack of competitive edge. And all I got to say is please compete! Please. I talked about this on the show the other night, my other show, Bed MGM Tonight. 
give it a listen. Spotify, Apple. Uh, but upon further thought, I thought this should make it to this show. We should talk about this in more detail. There's, I think, something wrong with James Harden. <laughs> Dude just made it to the NBA's all-time best players list, 75 of them. And he is starting alarmingly slow. Slower than Luca is, which is, you know, Luca's pretty fucking slow at times. Through four games, James Harden is shooting 34% from the field, 32% from three, averaging just, I mean, 17 points per game, seven points less than last year. It's all relative. You remember last year, right? Like, it was a mess. <laughs> the blue suit, jumpsuit era where he had that fat suit on. He was out of shape. He was doing the reverse of a hunger strike. It was a eat-as-much-as-you-can strike. That out-of-shape James Harden averaged 28 points per game for the fucking Rockets in his first four games, shooting 48% and 41% from three. And he was getting clowned the entire time and trying to get the fuck out of Dodge. And he still made shots. This year... Coming back from his hamstring injury that, of course, hampered him. Things are not the same. Not the same. Something is going on. Before the season started, Jimmy Butler called Harden the most unstoppable player in the league right now. Jimmy Butler's cute right now. He's just being so sweet to all the other players in the league. But truthfully, James Harden looks very stoppable. He does not look himself. And he even has come out and said, I'm not myself. This is what he said. I'm just getting my confidence back. He's in his feelings. I'm a little hesitant. You guys can see it. Just going through a lot of ups and downs last year. That is for sure. He means the scale. And then coming into training camp healthy and thin and making sure my conditioning is where it needs to be. Just making sure my confidence continues to come and to build. That's four references to confidence. That's all that matters. We're in game three. My confidence will rise. Ding, another confidence. Uh, quote, will rise and we will continue to get better as games go on and I will feel more confident, that's five, and get that burst of speed like I'm normally used to. No worries at all. Kind of sounds a little worried if you're talking about confidence pretty much through the entirety of two sentences. When you see someone as durable as James Harden has been go through a setback like that, mentally, confidence is something that takes a while to come back. Steve Nash also commented on it, saying in a presser after Brooklyn beat the Wizards that Harden is, quote, still an excellent player. (laughs) I would fucking hope so. Even if he's not at peak form, we still believe in him. I also fucking hope so. And he'll get there in the next few weeks. That's a lie. That is a lie. How do I know that's a lie? Because a reporter followed up asking for clarification on whether Harden's injury had anything to do with the slow start, and Nash said 100%. It can take the same amount of time as playing time as was missed to get to normal. Excuse me. Uh, That does not mean a few weeks. Uh, He was injured. Let's go back to the timeline. April 1st was the injury. To July, that is four months, meaning James Harden might not be himself until, does the math, quicks, carries the, January. That's, uh, that is not a few weeks from now. That is a long time from now. Then now you add in the rule change, which we all call the Harden rule, where refs do not call any of Harden's tomfoolery that he was normally used to getting away with. And for the first time, 
James is now struggling with confidence, struggling with getting shots at the line. When you're struggling with confidence, nothing is better than free throws, unless you're Giannis. Unless you're Giannis. (laughs) Maybe that's changed now. But they asked him if the rule affects him, and he said, yeah, for sure. I'm not going to complain about this. It's already uh, hard to have this stigma. (laughs) He acts like he's mentally challenged. It's not a stigma. Wait, you think that you're branded with being like an all-time flopper is a stigma? Like, you're one of the greatest to do this. I mean, he's like, I can't even complain to the refs about being fouled because the fucking rule change is literally named after me. (laughs) It's called the Harden rule. So if I complain about the Harden rule, it's just going to be worse. (laughs) I mean, yeah. Through four games, Harden is averaging 2.8 free throws a game. Through his career... He averaged nine a game. Good enough for top ten in the league. Well, at least we know, us, that we're not crazy for thinking something's up with James Harden. A lot actually is up with James Harden. Uh, the weight, uh, that that change. The injury, that change. The rule change. Uh, not having his teammate in Kyrie Irving, that change. Pretty much everything. But James Harden was one of the best players in the league at drawing contact, swipe throughs, lean-ins. Truthfully, although it was annoying to watch, you hate to see a guy struggling with confidence, truthfully, have to do that and come back now that this rule change is happening. I want him to come back strong. I think when he's in peak form, he's one of the most fun players to watch. Cook, you know, at the end of the day, as his success goes, the Nets' success goes. There's no family in the NBA. What? What are you talking about? What? DeAndre Ayton thought that they were family. With the Suns. He thought he was going to get maxed out. Number one overall draft pick. Owner. Sharing an alma mater like brothers. Basically chose him only because they both went to the same school. Dumb. Truthfully. But, you know, who am I? Who am I to say you're a billionaire, do what you want? Is your fucking team. Anyhow, uh, then they didn't max him out. And truthfully, I was worried. I was worried because when you don't pay your guy max money and he's in a contract year and you are in win-now mode, and then on top of that, you pay guys like Landry Shamet. Dude's been on the team for like two and a half seconds. He is so irrelevant, people don't even catalog how to spell his name correctly in the media. That's how irrelevant Landry Shamet is. He got paid. So when that happened, truthfully, I was shook. Shook. So shook, I changed my Twitter profile to say this. DeAndre Ayton deserves to be maxed out. That's what I said. That's true. I did that. I am standing for DeAndre. But after this news, I am no longer concerned. Why? Well, it's the same answer to every solution that the Phoenix Suns has had in the last 12 months. Chris Paul. Appears that Chris Paul talked DeAndre Ayton off the ledge, and he is now, shall we say, aswashed. Long way from where he was when TMZ was following his ass around. He's going into secret meetings with James Jones. They're like, DeAndre, what's happening? He's like, nothing. They're not paying me. And they asked DeAndre Ayton at the podium, DeAndre, how do you feel about them not paying you what you're worth? And he's like, disappointed. Same, same. And everybody knows DeAndre's like, it's max or it's nothing. Max for five years, not three, not four, five years or nothing. 
And when a guy puts his line in the sand and another team puts their line in the sand, it's not the same line. Woo-wee! It's not good. So not good that league executives even said that Aiton could be actually on the trade block. Unless things change fast. An anonymous NBA GM said, if the Suns really don't think the situation's going to change, meaning either they're not going to pay him what he wants or convince him to take less, then, yeah, they would have to consider maybe making a move this season. Rut row. Bagley and Aiton, for the record, are the only top five players in that draft to not be extended by now. Just to redline that, just DeAndre Aiton and Marvin Bagley. One of these things is not like the other. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? One guy went to the finals. One guy can't even get paid by the Sacramento Kings. Enter Chris Paul, the DeAndre Ayton whisperer, peacemaker, master negotiator. Same guy that squeezed out $30 more million at 37 years old from the Phoenix Suns that no one saw coming. The guy that, uh, who was it, Tillman Fertitta said was the most Overpaid guy in the league, and he, that guy, got $30 more million extracted from one of the cheapest organizations in the NBA. So he knows what he's doing. This is what he said to my guy, Chris Haynes, one of the only reporters I give shine on this podcast to. With DA and his situation, we talked about it. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. He knows what he has to do. The goal for everybody is to see everyone getting paid. His situation is what it is, but it's going to work out for him. Pause. That means I had a little conversation with DeAndre. I told him, listen, I know how to get you paid. I promise you. I'm going to get you paid. Just stay focused. Just stay focused on the goal. We are literally the only good team in the West right now. And if we do it right, we're going to be back to the finals. And you're going to be a free agent, and you are going to get paid. I will squeeze them. I am here for three more years, DeAndre. I got you. The quote continues. We hope it works out for him. The biggest thing we know we can do is to go out there and win games. And just like that, one of the best leaders in the league put out a little baby brush fire in the valley that could have turned into a full-blown fucking NBA firestorm. Because the last thing that the Suns want is DeAndre Ayton to be like, fuck these guys. I am going to do what I want to do. You've got, like, perimeter scorer DeAndre Ayton, which you don't want. Like, yeah, I'm going to show these guys I'm Joel Embiid. It's like, no, no, DeAndre. What we need you to do is be a rim runner. Set these fucking screens for Chris Paul and Devin Booker so that they can cook. We'll send you some lobs every two and a half seconds, maybe. Whenever it comes up, get some putbacks. You'll be fine. (laughs) Thankfully, DeAndre Ayton listens to every single word that Chris Paul says and Monty Williams says. And now, hopefully, fingers crossed... DeAndre Ayton will win a title, at least go back to the finals, and get that multi-generational wealth that he deserves, that he deserves as a result. Win, stats, money, and nobody knows how to squeeze an organization better than Chris Paul. I tell you what. You like tea? I hope you like tea, because we have some delicious, hot-ass tea right now. Two of the biggest pop culture staples in the game right now have a full-on sub, like, in-life subtweet battle. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's subtweeting on Twitter, and then there's subtweeting in real life, and that shit is spicy. LeBron James and the Squid Game has a ring to it. As we know, LeBron James is the 
cinematic connoisseur that he is. He loves uh, what he always talks about, Godfather. And they ask him, like, LeBron, what's your favorite Godfather line? He's like, you know, just so many good ones. You don't even, I can't even, uh, what was the question? (laughs) Also, for those who don't know, he was the engine behind the smash hit Space Jam 2. Smash hit. As well as doubling as the lead actor. I don't know if you know, LeBron James was the lead actor in, in Space Jam 2. Um, so you would think, as a guy who's made some films, he also was in Trainwreck, critically acclaimed performance that was, uh, you might think he would have some empathy for the difficulty of making high-quality cinema that is internationally acclaimed, like Space Jam 2. But the other day, apparently, after a game, LeBron James was literally shit-talking Squid Game to Anthony Davis about the ending. LeBron James dissecting the ending like the film connoisseur that he is. This is what he said. Yeah, I finished it. You finished it? You watched it? You done? Yeah, I didn't like the ending, though. Like, bro, what are you doing? That's what he said. No, no, LeBron. Here's where we get serious. No, no, LeBron. What are you doing? First of all, you can't be spoiling. I took the quote out. Part of the quote out. You can't be spoiling Squid Game in the middle of the fucking arena. So many people haven't even seen the ending. I haven't even seen the ending. The best part, though, was that this made it back to the creator. Yeah, of course. Creator was doing an interview with Guardian. And, uh, you know, like Squid Game is probably the most popular television series maybe in Netflix history. So they asked him about it, one filmmaker to another. And he goes, uh, have you seen Space Jam 2? Pause. Oh, my God. That is his first response in Korean? Have you seen Space Jam 2? Yes, we've all seen it. Yes. Then he goes on to say, LeBron James is cool, and he can say what he wants, but I wouldn't change my ending. That's my ending. And if he has his own ending that would satisfy him, maybe he can make his own sequel. Oh, my God. I'll check it out. Maybe I'll send him a message saying, hey, I liked your whole show except for the ending. (laughs) Oh, my God. I get that he was just talking to AD and it wasn't like a public thing. So private conversations are what private conversations are, but this is delicious. Like, the lack of self-awareness that LeBron James has continues to cease to amaze me, truthfully. I am always stunned by LeBron James and his lack of cognizance about everything. Everything. You, the, like you put out Space Jam 2, right? You were proud of Space Jam 2. You went around the country promoting Space Jam 2, during the Olympics no less, You retweeted any random Tom, Dick, and Mary who said uh, anything positive about your shitty-ass movie Space Jam 2. And then you had the audacity, the audacity to nitpick, to criticize a small portion of one of the most internationally acclaimed miniseries at Squid Game? Amazing. Amazing. Forget the ending of Space Jam 2. Forget that. Like, I had problems with the beginning, the middle, 
the plot, the characters, the character development, the acting, the special effects, the product placement that was seemingly everywhere. Did you know that there was Coke and fucking cereal and this and that? Everywhere. The pacing, I don't know, the soundtrack. Literally everything was wrong with Space Jam 2. And LeBron James is like, you know, fam, I didn't like the ending of Squid Games. Why didn't he just do that? It's like, and he said, he said, Dude, what are you doing? Like, it was just the most obviously terrible ending he had ever seen. And people are going to burn me for this because there are people who like Space Jam 2. They are kids. And you know what I say to that is fucking kids eat dirt. Like, kids aren't, do not have fully formed brains yet. And only people without fully formed brains like Space Jam 2, or parents who are just like, fuck it, I don't care, just turn it on, I'm gonna get on my iPad, and let Johnny and whoever just watch this dog shit movie, and I don't have to even think about it. And I tell you what, if LeBron James had problems with Squid Game, I cannot wait, I have a show for him, it's called You, The Premise. The first season follows the story of Joe Goldberg, a bookstore manager in New York, who meets Genevieve Beck, an aspiring writer, and becomes infatuated with her. He feeds his toxic obsession using social media and other technology to track her presence and remove obstacles to their romance. A.K.A. this is a show three full seasons now. Joe Goldberg continues to find women, stalk women, kill women, rinse, repeat. Cannot wait to see LeBron James' critique of that one. That is all the time that we have for the Heat Check Podcast. We will be back Friday morning, as always, at the break of dawn. Please don't forget to give us a follow at Trista Crick and at this Heat Check on TikTok. Please download. Please subscribe. Give us a rating on Spotify and Apple. 